And so turn to Psalm 127. And we were originally, my goal was just to spend a week on it, no big deal. And then, as usual, you, you dive into the biblical text and you're overwhelmed by what it is that you see. Uh, the Bible is quite rich. As we like to say, it is shallow enough. A child can wade into waters. It's deep enough to drown an elephant. And uh, no doubt this, these five verses are pretty well known. I think we're at least familiar with them. And yet they, they hold a, a lot of treasure. So last week, you may recall, we talked about basically how to waste your life, right? How, how, how to live the vain life. And, and now we want to look at the reverse of that, how to live the blessed life. So if you will, stand with me, reverence God's word, Psalm 127. We'll begin in verse 3, and we'll go down to verse 5. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with him. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gates. Good Lord in prayer. Our Father, I ask as always that you would open our entire being, that we would encounter your word and the Savior of your word. This is good news, and yet we are blind and deaf to it as a nation. Help us to recover the blessed life and let us crucify the vain. May I decrease so you can increase. Name yourself, we pray. Amen. Science was never my favorite um, subject in school. In fact, I remember I had the same teacher for geom- geometry. <laughs> I'm apparently not math either. Um, and physics, right? Introduction to physics. And I had him in geometry first. And uh, he came to me. Uh, I was a teenager, a prideful male, zany teenager. And came up to me and says, you're going to have to get 100, get an A in my class. Not an attitude. And so I went out and did 100, right? Uh, a ge- geometry came easy to me. He came later, our relationship got better in a different class, physics, uh, another semester, and he said, look, if you get 100 on your final, you'll get an A, right? And he was worried about me. And I remember thinking, mom and dad are not going to get mad at me if I don't get an A in physics, right? Math, maybe. Physics, nah, right? <laughs> you know, they weren't going to. And I just went out and just settled for my B like a good teenager would. But one of the things I do remember in physics class is some of the laws of Isaac Newton, who invented gravity, of course. And one of those laws is that uh, for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. I remember that the example that our teacher gave is, is that if you had a baseball and you threw it in the space and it was uh, in a vacuum, there was no gravity, there was, there was nothing in its way, nothing, it would not stop moving, right? It would just keep going, right? It is whenever something comes upon that, whether it be gravity, wind, whatever it is, then, then it will then stop, right? And so we would always use baseball. So the pitcher throws the ball and, and what in that action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. That is, there's a lot of things that is affecting the direction of the ball, what's going to happen to the ball. Eventually, that ball will fall to the ground because of gravity and wind and everything else, or uh, a catcher's mitt or uh, the batter's bat, right? And, and you can measure uh, how far the ball will go when it's hit by the speed of, of the ball coming to it, right? The faster the ball is pitched, the easier it is to go long, right? We, we get this. With every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Half of that is probably false because I don't know much about physics. But what I do know is that this is true at the cultural level as well. Action, reaction. And what we do as humans in virtually every culture, not just America, is whenever we chase after one thing, there's usually a reaction to that thing. 
And given how quickly societies are changing with the age of social media and, and broadband internet and Wi-Fi and everything else, is, is that the speed of social change is fast, which means the speed of the reaction is so fast. Let me give you one action we see that, uh, that isn't rising, I would say, is the predominant narrative when it comes to our lives. One does not need to search very hard in our own families, in our own lives, people we know, or certainly on the internet where you can find everything that is true and good for you, is you will find countless women eschewing traditional femininity in favor of what they would call independence. No husband, no children, no obligations. And its place is career, education, diplomas, degrees, success, a revolving door of boyfriends, and usually by the end, several cats. In its place, um, or we are told then that women, it is better for women to find, to be liberated from the home, right? But what we end up finding is they're exchanging um, what we would call responsibility in the home for slavery in the corporate office. And somehow being, the, the burdens of work and the corporate office is somehow more freeing and independent than responsibility of children to call you mother, a husband to call you wife. Right? For some reason, one is considered slavery and the other considered liberty. Well, every action brings with it reaction. If women do not prioritize the home, men certainly won't prioritize the home. Men naturally don't want to prioritize the home. We'd rather be pioneers, discovering something new, getting in trouble with no responsibility at home. And so in reaction to the rise of the supposed uh, independent woman or whatever it might be, or all my single ladies or whatever it is, I see two dangerous epidemics among men. The first are lonely men ruined by the feminist ideal of masculinity. Lonely men, let me warn you, are dangerous men. Lonely men have a breaking point, and it's never good. Lonely men are dangerous men. These men, at first, are willing to carry good burdens, but are often incapable or even too soft to carry them, or they're just never trusted with the responsibility. The other reaction I see, we talked about this on Father's Day, was the, is, is the alpha male bro dudes who are trying to constantly prove themselves to other men, to women, to society, to whatever. They, 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 they see the lonely, soft men, and they want to go the opposite direction. Why? Because every action, there's reaction. These are destructive men who eschew marriage and family because it is too risky to them. And they feel there is nothing in such institutions for them. They are willing to sleep with women. They are unwilling to take responsibilities for them. They will use women. They will not love women. They will have children. They refuse to raise children. To them, women are to be conquered, not loved through sacrificial leadership. These men are unwilling to carry the right burdens. Action reaction. In the opening two verses we saw last week, Solomon, as you may recall, as we talked about already, is he reveals what is the meaningless, vain, false life. And you remember our conclusions, right? First of all, was theological independence. I don't need no God, 
Right. I had a conversation. I can't give details in the recording uh, at, at a political event this last week that I went to. And and a person was shocked to find a person of faith had a presence in the Capitol. And I remember this person saying, I don't need God in my life. That is theological independence. That is a vain life to say that when I die, I did all that I could and wanted to for myself. And when I die, anything of meaning is gone with me. No legacy, no higher aim, nothing. Theological independence, the vain lie. The second is direction is toil. So you can see there in verse two where he tries to stretch the length of the day because because of theological independence, you are responsible for your own happiness. You're responsible for your own joy. You're responsible for your own uh, bed you sleep in at night, the, the house that keeps you warm, the food that fills your belly. You are responsible for that. And this leads to a weary, meaningless life. And these are the sort of people we are producing as a nation. We toil for meaning in the world we think is meaningless. And so we keep chasing that tail, wondering what in the world is going on and why we are so dizzy. Our theology is wrong, which is why we are so wary. Solomon directs our attention from the secret to vain, meaningless living to the secret of blessed, fulfilling life. The blessed life is one lived to the glory of God and to the good of others. The blessed life is one that lives to the glory of God and to the good of others. And so verses three to five, we see this, right? Now, I want you to pause and, and, and think about this. What is, uh, what are the jobs, according to statistics, this would be the Bureau of Labor Statistics and whatnot, we have studied what jobs are producing the greatest happiness? I'm sure you would say something like doctors, nurses, or a lawyer, or an engineer, or a businessman who's wealthy, or uh, I don't know, a stock trader who... I don't know. Well, I'll leave the jokes. But um, maybe you would think of something like that. What if I told you the two happiest vocations or the vocations that produce the happiest people, farmers and lumberjacks? Now, you think about it, it does make some sense. They are less stressed. They, are, uh, they enjoy the outdoors. And they enjoy productive, fulfilling jobs. You literally bring home the bacon because you're raising pigs, Right? There's something about raising crops and you go out there and you see that the rains have fallen and the crops are rising and it's going to be a good harvest. There's something about having your children there to help you chop down the tobacco or to hang the tobacco or, 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 or to have them go through and help you with the corn or to, or, or to help you uh, with, with a, uh, a cow giving birth or, or whatever it is, right? To feed the chickens from the time they're little, right? We had chickens. We give the kids chores. You got to feed the chickens, get the eggs and all that. Something fulfilling and productive about that. It, it makes sense. But at the same time, these sort of jobs come with high responsibilities, danger, and workload. I don't know if you've been a farmer, have known farmers in your life, grew up in a farming community, pastored in a farming community for a long time, and their jobs are never done. Never done, right? They come home late at the end of the day thinking, I have so much to do tomorrow and I'm exhausted. And that is their life every day. So when farmers go to church, they are actually uh, following an act of faith. There's so much for them to do that... that they still took a day off. That, that is pretty significant, which is a biblical model. But with that, they, they find that uh, they are given responsibility to manage countless acres of hard labor, getting workers to help them, deadlines and harvests, and you got to plant at a certain time, you got to harvest at a certain time. Our, un, our ancestors understood that a meaningful existence isn't a secretive or a complicated one. It is not in wealth, power, or TikTok followers. We've known this. 
And yet with each generation, we keep following for the same lie. So what is the secret to the blessed life? The first one should be obvious and is rooted in what we saw in verses 1 and 2. If theological independence is the secret to meaningless life, that would mean theological dependence is the secret to the blessed life. Remember, independence will lead you down a path of dependence. So what we're asking each of us to do is choose to be dependent on the Lord and not on yourself and other people. Much more reliable foundation, wouldn't you say? In the name of liberation from God, we make ourselves dependent on ourselves and our circumstance. That's a, that's a terrible idea. Now notice that in verse 2, we, we sort of left this off last week, right? Uh, uh, it is vain, right? You, you rise up early, go to late, right? So, so you extend in the day, eating the bread of the anxious soul, soil. So remember, we said the connection to the Garden of Eden. The word anxious, there's the word sorrow, and it's, it's, it's uh, hyperlinked to Genesis 3.16 as part of the curse. And, and the only time this word is used thus far in, in the Old Testament, Genesis 3, Psalm 127. But notice how verse 2 ends. For he, that is the Lord, that we're introduced to twice in verse 1, he gives to his beloved rest. On what foundation? On what basis? Dependence. The one who depends on the Lord rests. The one who doesn't depend on the Lord but depends on himself is never content. You see the contrast? I'm reminded of a parable Jesus told. It is, it is the uh, one unique parable in Mark's gospel. You won't find it in the other gospel. Mark chapter 4, Jesus says, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. That's the parable, right? It's very simple. He says, what does a farmer do? He goes out and plants, and then he goes to bed. God takes care of the rest. Now, obviously, a farmer does more than that. If, if it's a bit dry, he's going to set up his, his sprinklers, right? He's going to water them, whatever it is, right? He's, he, he, he does things. But the point of the parable is to say he goes out, he plants, he goes to bed. And each day he wakes up and he sees what God is doing. The application is pretty obvious. The man who is dependent on God is the one who is free to rest at night. You see the value of a, of, of a theologically dependent life. When we center our lives around the Lord, he gives purpose and meaning behind all that we do. So our aim in life is not happiness. Our aim in life is the glory of God. We talked about this a few weeks, and there we quoted 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. The first key is faith. The second key to a blessed life, I've, I've I titled, it he, titled it here as meaningful burdens. Meaningful burdens. You know, one of the things I've noticed as this society is that technology and society in general and everything else are designed to lift burdens off of our backs. There's been study of the rise of feminism. One of the things that people have pointed to with feminism is technology has encouraged it. Why? Because by the time you get to the 1940s and 50s, technology has caught up with the home. I want you to think about it. Your great-grandmother, 1800s, whatever it is, right? That was a soul who had a busy job. To put dinner on the table. I'm not talking about breakfast and lunch. I'm talking about just dinner. Hours upon hours upon hours of work. To wash the clothes, hours of work required an army of, of, of daughters, right? We, we get this. Incredible burden labor. 
You get to the 1940s and 50s, Merit becomes the, 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 the uh, world superpower. Technology is booming, much of it coming out of the Second World War. And what do we have? Vacuum cleaners, dishwashers, and, and, and washing and drying machines, and on and on it goes. So what used to take three hours to wash, you can now hit, a, hit two buttons and you've done it within an hour or two. Now, I do a lot of cooking at the house, and you know that while I cook at the house, I cooked a big uh, dinner yesterday, and, and that while that is happening, right, the water's boiling, whatever it is, I can turn around and put a load in the washer and what's in the washer and the dryer, and that takes two minutes tops to do it. And that's if I'm distracted because I had to pull out the lint because no one else will in the house. And then I can take another two minutes, empty the dishwasher, put dishes in it. And so that while it is washing and I am cooking, by the time we're done cooking, we take everything on the dishwasher, fill it up again. And so what we used to take hours upon hours and hours takes me five minutes now. And so this is where you get the feminist mystique book in the 1960s. And, and because women were told, you just have to stay home. And what they found was they were called to something more than just chores. And this leads to the rise of feminism. We have told ourselves that we are happy most when we are, have less burdens. So we've bought into pills. We've bought into technology. We've bought into everything to lessen burdens. What we found is it's robbed us of any meaning and purpose. What we need are meaningful burdens because we've settled for meaningless burdens. How many followers we have on Twitter? How many likes we got on that photo we posted on Instagram? What sort of recognition do we get at work at the Christmas party? Meaningless burdens. Here the text tells us to look for meaningful burdens. Psalm 127 is best known for what it says about the blessings of children and family, right? And it's a favorite for Mother's Day, cards and messages, whatnot. Consider some of the words associated with children, verses three to five. First, verse three, they are a heritage. Also, and later in verse three, they are a reward. In verse five, blessed is the man whose quiver is full, right? These are good words. The average American would probably choose different words to describe children, burdensome, expensive, and even parasitical. Solomon would disagree. The reality is that men and women are called to carry burdens. You've heard me say, and I'm stealing this from another prominent minister, is that men work best like a diesel truck, right? A diesel truck works best when it has the right amount of, of, of load to carry, right? You just zoom. It's the way men work. The right burdens and watch what a man can do. Watch what a man can achieve. Society is built on the backs of men who have uh, 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 children to raise and wives to love. That's what leads to great inventions. The dirty little secret is that unless those burdens that we carry are healthy, good, productive, and last beyond ourselves, we will only find emptiness and despair. I remember when, uh, where I served at before, our youngest was an infant and our oldest was a teething toddler. And so we had diapers on one and you are driving me crazy, right? Please gums fix, right? You know, whatever it is, right? You just nothing you can do for a teething toddler. And I remember for weeks we didn't sleep. I was a full-time student and I'd drive an hour and a half across uh, uh, the timeline. So I, I lost an hour going. So I'd have to leave at 5.30 instead of 6.30 to get there by eight o'clock, whatever it is. And, and so, and then there's Louisville traffic and I'd be in school and then I'd have to come back, have ministry stuff. And, and it just says I had a lot going on and I had no sleep. I remember one Sunday morning for service, this uh, uh, lady had the audacity to say, preacher, you look awfully tired, which is a Southern way of saying you look awful. You need to go wash your face. And I remember saying, that could be because I am tired. Let me tell you one thing I've learned raising kids. Sleep is for those who don't have young children at home, right? And burdensome. What I would have given for a full night's rest. 
No middle of the night feedings. No, my gums hurt. Please hold me. None of that sort of stuff. But children are difficult to raise and they are the cause of much lost sleep. But who is more fulfilled at the end of their lives? The boss lady who reached the pinnacle of success and has enough money to donate to whoever they want but has no children to give it to? Or the poor grandmother who every Christmas fills up the driveway in the yard with cars and there's not enough room for them. The neighbors get annoyed because they're parking in their yards without permission. They get that annual Christmas photo and who is smiling the biggest? It's grandma and grandpa. You tell me which burden was better. Yeah, they can talk about those late nights. They can talk about how uh, the, the, the money was tight and some bills you know, had to be delayed and everything else. But when it came down to it, they are blessed indeed. They would say children were a heritage, a reward, and a blessing. Can I give you from this text three meaningful relationships, three meaningful relationships that have with them a certain burden that is a meaningful burden that produces the blessed life. The first is family. Notice again there, verse three, that children are a heritage and a reward. Translation offer three options, and they're all uh, uh, related here to the word heritage. Some will say heritage, as mine does. Some will say gift. Others will even say inheritance. I like the word inheritance there because it carries the idea of a blessing that becomes uh, the means of blessing, right? That inheritance is, I've been blessed, and what I'm doing with this blessing is I'm trying to bless. My, my, the minute I die, I'm, I'm a blessing again. I love that, that a heritage and gift carry the same idea, but inheritance makes it very clear what the idea here is. They are then a reward. An inheritance is a trust. It's something you're responsible for that will outlast you. Like any heritage or, inher or her inheritance, it must be developed, improved, and enjoyed. Children are that sort of blessing. Yes, they are work. Yes, they are overwhelming, but nothing is more fulfilling. No amount of money can replace the greeting of children when you return home for work. We, we, we've all had that, right? No accolades is better than an ongoing relationship with your adult children whom you are proud of. You can't replace that. Family is a meaningful burden. It's a meaningful burden. The second meaningful burden relationship is marriage. In the biblical world, the presence of children implies the presence of marriage. That used to be common knowledge. By the way, I think I saw a study that uh, only 4% of women uh, were single moms, say, mid-20th century, whatever the date is. Now it's about 40%. That's a problem. It's a problem. Marriage makes the blessing of children possible, not just in conception, but in the raising of children. Men and women bring different things to the table. And... Boys and girls need both things to be brought to the table. Young men need to know what, is, what does it mean to be a man. They also need to know how to treat women. Guess where they're going to learn that? From dad. They also need to know what does the ideal woman look like? Where are they going to first learn that? Not from little sis. Little sis is a terror. But from mom, grandma, aunt, uncles, grandfathers, cousins. So too, little girls need to know what does femininity really look like, practically. They don't get that from mom. They also need to know what sort of man should I pursue. They're going to find that in dad. In my experience, women will pursue either the spitting image of their father and a husband or due to absence or whatever is they would try to replace their father or go the opposite direction. Well, 
Verse four and five imply that one's children represents them in the community. I, I want you to see it because I never saw this before. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. By the way, notice that children come when you are young. And so, so I won't belabor this, but delaying having children is a bad thing. It's a bad thing. It's a bad thing. And the reason we do this is because we're not raising children, uh, uh, young adults to take responsibility at an early age. We're telling them to delay adulthood and responsibility. But that's, that's a footnote. Well, you get mad at me later. But also notice, blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. So we have arrows, we have a quiver, so you can see the illustration there. He will not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. All that language is important. His children are in the gate for him. His children are like arrows in a quiver, right? Now you'll notice here, arrows and arrows in a quiver, those, those are meant for attack, right? Those aren't defensive weapons. And so the gate, as we've talked about quite a bit, particularly in our study of Genesis and Wednesdays, the gate is where uh, all the decisions for an area are made because that is where the people out in the country can come and it's where people in the city can come. They meet sort of in the middle, right? It's at the gate. Uh, Lot is at the gate of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? You know, uh, 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 Boaz does his business to get Ruth at the city gate, right? This is where it all happens. So notice here, here you have an aging man who is at the end of his life, and it is his children going to bat for him at the gate. His shame would have been if he had no representation from people who loved him. That's shame. But rather, his honor is, here are young men and women that I've raised who love me to my dying breath. They are my legacy. They are arrows in a quiver. And Solomon says, fill up that quiver. You don't want to run out of arrows, do you? And the more, the better. Have you a small army, if you will. Now, all of this implies marriage. Marriage is hard, but it is worth pursuing. And anything worth pursuing is hard. To know that you are loved for a life is a blessing. This is something I, I don't understand. When you go from boyfriend to boyfriend, girlfriend to girlfriend, and it's just a revolving door of relationships, particularly sexual relationships, you will eventually realize no one has ever loved you. Everyone has used you. One of my frustrations with young women in particular is they can't seem to understand men will sleep with virtually anyone, but it takes quite a bit of work for get, to get them to love you. To get loyal love requires more than intimacy. And so you get these young women saying, well, he slept with me, and so clearly he must love me. And every man that's ever existed knows immediately that is not the case. So what happens is you, you convince yourself, no one actually loves me. They just want to use me. Therefore, I am unlovable. And marriage comes and says, I, 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 the most important relationship in my life is my spouse, and I know that in this relationship, I am loved. This is why intimacy always followed love, not the other way around. The depth of marital love cannot be enjoyed fully without time and effort, but it will be enjoyed. The third meaningful relationship, a burden worth carrying, is that of community. Small towns have long memories. If you grew up in a small town, you know what I'm talking about. Cities have no memories whatsoever. We are a city country. We don't remember nothing that happened two weeks ago. Small towns have long memories, long memories. There's some good in that, right? But in small towns, individuality is not as strong as big cities. You, you go to a big city, you're on your own. Small towns, you are your surname. Let me give you an example. Uh, several weeks ago, I got to speak at the Owenton uh, Rotary Club for what I do at the Capitol. And, and I got up and I, I gave away uh, our, our, the books that we have that we, we give out, explains our ministry and everything. And I got to talk about uh, how to pray for elected leaders and the ministry at the Capitol, all that sort of stuff. Enjoyed it because these were people that, that I knew. I knew many of them. 
And at the end was a time of Q&A, right? So I said, okay, do you have any questions? And, and I got one question that was like somewhat worth answering. It wasn't really, but it was one. Everything else, now I'm being tongue-in-cheek when I say that. Everything else was, hey, I know your granddaddy. Let me tell you about your granddaddy, right? I know your daddy up on Dog Hill. Let me tell you something about what your daddy did. You know, uh, you know and, and because I knew that was going to happen, small towns have long memories, I wore a tie. I've worn it here before. It is a tie uh, that, that I found, and it, it says Mazzy Ferguson on it. It's just Mazzy Ferguson all over the place. Now, that may not mean anything to you, but my grandfather and father sold Mazzy Ferguson tractors. They, they ran a, a machine shop, a tractor shop, and, and among other tractors, no John Deere's because nothing lays down like a deer. They sold Mazzy Ferguson's. That was their favorite tractor, right? And before that, they, they, they sold Ferguson's, but, but they didn't Mazzy Ferguson. So I, we were surrounded by my Mazzy Ferguson. This morning, I sent a picture to my mother and father of our kids when they were tiny, when we first moved here to Frankfurt, at a parade where a Mazzy Ferguson went by, and there's them looking at this Mazzy. We used to have them ride on Mazzy Ferguson tractors that I rode on when I was a kid, right? We love Mazzy Ferguson. Coming to my hometown to meet with people who knew my family, I'm going to wear a hometown tie. Because in small towns, memories live long. I am my surname. And that's not going to change in a small town. And I don't want to bring shame to my, to my uh, name in my family in my town. You and your family carry a reputation. Families are small communities within a community. We bear responsibility for that community by the children we raise and how they act, which means we should invest in the well-being of our community, whatever that may look like. Could be in leadership, could be in volunteer, whatever it is. But here it is. In essence, a meaningful life is a selfless one that serves others for the glory of God. It leaves behind a legacy of love. To be blessed we must be a blessing to others. The critic will call this life burdensome. The blessed believer would see this as a life of meaning. There's a big difference. Ultimately, as you can imagine, the secret to it all is love. To love a God who loves us requires us to love the world regardless of, of its opinion of us. To love others, to love our Savior, that is the sort of man we see there in verse 5 who shall not be put to shame. That's the secret to the blessed life. Well, many of you all know I, I love Tolkien. His Middle Earth stuff is good. Even his non-Middle Earth stuff is good. They put this in the movie, but it's in the book as well. In the first Hobbit movie, you may know the scene if you've seen it, where Bilbo and uh, his merry men of dwarves are um, almost eaten by cave trolls, right? And, and at the very last minute, Gandalf the wizard comes and he strikes a rock which then exposes the sun. The, the, the rock was blocking the sun. And they're cave trolls. They can't be out in the sun, hence the cave part. And so when the, when the, uh, the sun shines through the splintered rock, um, they, they are turned into stone, right? And everyone's saved. Thorin, who is the leader of the group, he sees the soon-to-be king under the mountain, um, he's frustrated at Gandalf because he felt like Gandalf had left them. They wouldn't have been in that predicament had Gandalf just stayed with the fellowship. And so Thorin asks Gandalf, where did you go, if, my, if, my, if I may ask? And Gandalf says, to look ahead, by which Thorin asks, what brought you back in the nick of time? His answer, looking behind. 
I love that. In a small scene, Tolkien helps us to think about culture and society. You cannot advance forward without also looking behind you. It's not very progressive, I think, if you are leaving behind what made your society even possible. If you're looking for meaningfulness, if you're looking for the blessed life, don't leave behind the things that bless. If you're looking for independence and joy and everything else, don't leave behind the things that we know lead to that. It's not very progressive to do so. It's regressive. It's regressive. Therefore, let us go back. Let us look behind before moving forward. The blessed life is one that is lived to the glory of God and for the good of others. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Our Father, I ask that you be so kind.